0: Why don't we get into the Word this morning? We are going to be in Joshua 10 um, uh, Joshua ten this morning. And it says that now Adonai, Sedeq, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken I and totally destroyed it. And I forgot to dismiss the kids. I just totally destroyed that intro completely. So, um, kids, you're dismissed for class. And I even have it down in my notes right here, first thing, and I still... Didn't do it. So there you go. Well, let's start that over. Now, uh, Adonis king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and his kings as he'd done to Jericho and its kings, and that the people of Gibeon uh, had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed by this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than I, and all of its men were good fighters. So Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, uh, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Say that ten times in a row, and I'll give you a prize, Okay. Uh, and he's basically saying hey you wacky kings out there with all these wacky names come on we need to talk here and he says to them come come up and help me attack gibeon because it has been made peace or because it has made peace with Joshua and the israelites so we have him saying attack the gibeon so the gibeonites not the israelites He's realizing that they've made this treaty, and he's like, this isn't good. Adonai Sedech is afraid, and he's starting to panic here, you know, as you can see. From Jericho to Gilgal to, to, uh, to Ai, everything that Israel has touched, they've been able to, to destroy and be able to take over and, and be able to defeat and Gilgal now becomes their kind of their home base, and they know it this time. The, those that are around are sitting there; they're they're seeing what's happening, and they're a little afraid. And this happens very quickly. So there's so there's a huge campaign that happens, and, and we don't just uh, uh, get all the dates and stuff. But but the Gibeonites joined forces with the Israelites, and Adonizedek is living about five miles away now. In today's world, that'd be like down to L.A., okay, or something like that, uh, if we hop in our cars and start driving. But he knows what's happening, and he is scared. Whole cities are, you know, basically burning now. And Adonai Sedek is afraid he can hear what is happening. He understands what's going on, so he gets all the southern kings uh, together to attack. And three weeks ago, or or a couple, or last week, we, we talked about how the enemy attacks from compromise, comes to our doorstep, and, and deceives us right in our home. And many felt like the the Lord might have been talking to them, and how we allow compromise to come in. You know, the Gibeonites, they get all dressed up and, you know, they uh, put on these worn sandals that they dug out of the closet and they found all the moldy bread and they come to them and say, make a treaty with us. We're from a far, far, far away country and, you know, and all that deception and how if we're not diligent. If we don't have peace with something, we should go to the Lord. But instead, they ignored that peace and they made the treaty. And now the Lord is going to make them hold to that treaty. So today we're going to see how the enemy also gathers. You know, the enemy deceives us and comes in from from, a, you know, from, uh, from the side and kind of, you know, we're kind of like, oh, what's going on there? But today we're going to see how the enemy comes right at us, directly at us, and attacks. They're just not going to sit back and wait. Jericho did, you know, uh, uh, Jericho waited around and see what happened to them. They're mad, at, they're mad at Gibeon for selling them out so they want to attack Gibeon before, before Israel really gets you know <coughs> before Israel really gets in there and stuff but they're really afraid of Israel that's the ultimate goal here so they don't attack them but they but they're you know kind of warning to all the other city states if you go with Israel, if you do something like this, we're going to attack you. Now we never experience this do we? We never experience this in our world where if you're friends with somebody, they start attacking somebody else, you know, and all those kind of relationships. So we can see this happening. And as Israel begins to fight multiple people groups at one time, rarely again will we ever see them fight one group by itself. It's usually several groups gathered up together to fight them. Even till today, you'll see multiple enemies come against Israel at once. Uh, and, you know, this is much like our, our walk with the Lord, you know. Baby Christian, you come to the, to the Lord, there's not too much spiritual warfare warfare going on there, and you sit at Gilgal, and, you, you know, you build monuments to the Lord, and you're just enjoying it. But as we grow, the more land we take, the more we put our effort into, into becoming mature, the more complicated the battles come at us and larger the enemies. Winning battles makes you a target. When you start doing things for the Lord, when you start serving the Lord in different ways, you are going to start to be attacked because you're for the Lord, not against him. And the enemy is against the Lord, so he starts uh, targeting you. One way to stop it is to go backwards. One way to stop being attacked, unfortunately is what God doesn't want us to do and that's by not living for him because the enemy doesn't need to attack you at that point. When you cross the Jordan River, when you cross the Jordan, all of a sudden when you come to God in a sense that represents that, God all of a sudden has a promise for you, a plan for your life that you can't even imagine. And if you and if you could imagine it, you would probably run away. You know what I'm saying? If God showed you everything that you were going to be going up against in your life, you would probably run away because you're not ready for all those things until God prepares you. We're like, no way, I'll never do that. I'll never be ready for that one, Lord. This is why God doesn't show us the whole picture. But when we do battle... There'll be some spoils of war that, that, you know, sometimes we'll be able to take those spoils of war in a sense. But it's not as much as you would think, because Israel will take some, but not as much as you think. Come to find out, God doesn't need the world's stuff, and neither do we. The closer we get to God, uh, the more we start to understand we don't need all this stuff because our joy, our, our happiness, all those things, our peace, it all comes from the Lord and not the things that we gather. You know, the, the person I was helping move this past week, she, you know, she was just like, man, I can't believe I have this much stuff. And I'm sitting there going, man, we, we used to move like every two years, right after we got married, you know, live in a place, and then we go to, you know, from a, a condo to a rent house, you know, moved like every two years there for 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 a season of time, and which was great because guess what? When you move, what do you do? I don't need this old junk. Let me get rid of it. Where's that dumpster at? Now, when you don't move, what happens? You start accumulating things. You start collecting things. Lisa and I have been trying to to go through different parts of our house and get rid of certain things. We've been successful at certain things, but unsuccessful at others. But, you know, we start to understand we don't need everything. The Lord will teach us to become more like Jesus, which his New Testament name in the Old Testament is the same as the Old Testament word Joshua. And as you prosper in the Lord, you might gain materially. But you will become less and less materially driven. And this is good for us. This is hard for some of us to, to process because money can become an idol pretty quickly. It may not be a huge idol that everybody sees, it may be a little one over in the corner, but it's an idol nonetheless because, you know, our logic says, well, God is blessing me, so therefore. I can, you know, I can afford this car, so God must be blessing me. Or God has, has removed his blessing because I can't afford that car. And this is some really weird thinking that goes on here. Uh, we have to get away from the thinking that it's all about God's blessing when it comes to money. Look at the wealthiest people in this world. If we equate money with God's blessing, then every wealthy person must be such a godly person, Right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Now there may be some wealthy, godly people that God is blessed in a certain way. Bless them with wealth. And they have responsibility to use that wealth to do the things that God wants them to do. Okay? So don't get me wrong. God can bless that way, but it's not a sign that either you're being blessed by God or not blessed by God. Therefore, in order to, you know, to in, in order to mature. Sometimes God may give us less stuff. Any amens on that one? No no amens on that one. Amen, God will give me less stuff. Yeah, preach it, brother. No, we don't think that way. God may take away and, and burn Jericho as a monument when you come back and say, Well, I don't want to live there anyway. I thought I did at one point, but now I don't. I thought it was a nice place, but you know, when I was marching around that wall, I'd be like, man, I wish we had all that stuff that was in there. Pretty cool place. But now I start to see that God has a bigger plan for us that doesn't involve that one little city. He wants to give us a whole nation. The, Lord plan, the Lord's plan goes beyond what you could imagine. And this is what I love, you know, because our kids are like this. They cannot imagine how much we really want to bless them. You know, they have no clue how a parent wants to bless their children. We've all been there. We understand that. Or a niece or a nephew, the one, you know, the, the kids that we truly, truly love, we want to bless them beyond they, anything they could imagine. That's how God feels about us. But sometimes that blessing doesn't come in material things. So Israel is getting ready for a battle. They're fixing to this battle's fixing to occur, and and the whole south is going to go up against them. And it would blow your mind at how fast they do this. It took two battles over three weeks, and now the Lord is going to do some amazing stuff. Now, if you missed our study last week, you know with Joshua, we where were we? Uh, we uh, we we missed the Gibeonites making the treaty with the Lord. Even though, uh, you know, Mount Abal, the Lord commands them not to make treaties. He tells them, you know, the read Deuteronomy, and it says don't make a treaty with with those that that aren't of the Lord and so forth. But they still do. They they were deceived, but they still had the onus to to follow through, and they didn't follow through, and they made this treaty. So they went uh, went against the word of the Lord. So today's study, they're going to have to fight Gibeon's battle for them. Do you realize that anybody you make a treaty with, now you're a part of the family? That's kind of interesting, huh? With our adopted child, we did an open adoption. Uh, It worked in our situation. I'm not saying every situation needs to be that. Don't get me wrong. But now, all of a sudden, we have family, right? Holidays look a little different because we have family we grew up with, but now we've got a whole other set of family, you know, and all that. And it's worked out well. Don't get me wrong. For us, it's, done, it's been amazing. The Lord has really just blessed that. But uh, we're part of that now. That's the same thing with the Gibeonites. They're a part of that now. They're going to have to fight the Gibeonite battle for them. We see this in marriage. You want to marry a guy or a gal, and, 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 and you know, then all of a sudden, you have to fight their battles when you're married. Because you're together and some of those battles will affect you and those around you. It'll affect your relationship We see this in business two companies come together to make money, but we have to be careful because you not only get the good stuff with that business relationship, you can have the negative stuff with that business relationship. The same thing with employees. They look good on this end, but in that end, do, do you really want them? You got to look at the totality of the person because it can affect those things. We have to be careful to be directed by the Word of God and not by the Almighty dollar. Almighty God, not Almighty dollar, okay? We got to be directed by the peace of God. When we make covenants, they now have to battle five kings at one time because they made a covenant. So it says here in in verse five, and I think yeah, I do have it up. Okay. And then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of the, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, uh, Jamoth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and they'd attacked it. So you have five nations around one nation. You have well over 10,000, I mean, a 100,000 man army surrounding the city. The city is a very large area, and they've called in everybody for battle. And here, you know, here they're, they're around some of their own, their own cousins that have married to, to other groups and all that kind of stuff. So they're actually going to be fighting some of their own family. It says in verse 6, the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Now, it would be very tempting for Joshua. Because this is how my mind works too, right? It's easy to get rid of this problem, right? Just let the five kings just take care of the Gimeonites. Uh, you know, my contract ends if the Gimeonites are gone. If they're defeated, I don't have to uphold that. To just ignore it. Send them a voicemail. Nope. Sorry, I, I didn't get that one in time. Sorry. Why would it be so tempting for Joshua? Because the enemy is about to annihilate Joshua's mistake. Joshua could could chalk this up to a little karma in the situation, you know? Goes around, comes around. They deceived me, so oh well. And once again, our fleshly logic kicks in. But it's so easy to forget about them. The Lord says that my word is my word. When you make a covenant, that's so important. You made that covenant with my name. This is why it's so important in marriage to follow through on those things. We may make mistakes, but we got to come back and say, I made a covenant here. So guess what, guys? The Lord does just what he did at Jericho with Rahab. Changes things up. Rahab recognized God, so he protected her and her family. So now God is going to protect the Gibeonites. It doesn't matter that he was deceived and they were deceived. And the Lord really bonded them to the Israelites later on. And they became a part of Israel. And it worked out really well. But right here, they're not bonded again. They haven't bonded they don't know each other's names yet. They haven't really built those relationships. Joshua's not even going to consider it. He's not going to make two wrongs, you know, turn into a right. Have you ever done that? One wrong, and, and "My bad?" Another really bad wrong? And you're like, "My really bad," you know?" or whatever? Just because we try to correct something bad and we end up doing something worse. And when we take something bad to the Lord, we present it to him and say, this is bad, God. This is bad. And he says, I know. I've been watching you try to work that out. It hasn't worked out, has it? We're like, no. We're like, I have no idea how to fix this. And he says, I don't want your idea. I want your repentance. I want for you to say, I screwed this up. I messed this up. I shouldn't have done this. Forgive me. And then God goes, great, now I'll go out and I'm going to have to fix this. And the Lord is going, you keep doing and doing and doing. And you're doing, you're making mistakes because you're not coming to me. How about you give it all to me? How about you give those problems, those worries, those those things in life that happened, give it to me and I will work it out. I may use you to work it out. I may use somebody else to work it out, but I will work it out for my glory. We have to have more faith in God's problem solving abilities than our own problem solving abilities. That's what's pretty sad about us as a people. We need to start growing. We need to start maturing. We need to get to the point where we're together, where we have more faith, more faith in God to be able to solve the problem. Let's give God the problem, and then watch what happens. The Lord takes an ungodly alliance and makes something beautiful out of it. It reminds us of the ungodly. I say ungodly. That's really not the word for it, but it reminds me of the alliance between me and God. You know what I'm saying? I have nothing to bring to the table. God has everything to bring to the table. So in one sense, it's not a good alliance for God, but God's going, but I I love you enough that I want to make this alliance, and then I'm gonna come in and make something beautiful out of it. Last week, we talked about not moving against your peace because God promises that his peace is beyond all understanding, and it will guard our minds and our hearts. So if I rely on that and, and things work out for the better, if God has already told you no about something, guess what? Don't do it. That's our problem. We, we, we try to in-run around God. If God has already told you no, then don't do it either by his word or the Bible says a sin is a sin or the Holy Spirit just gives you that, that, that anxiety about something that, that doesn't want to happen. Now there's a difference between godly anxiety and then us worrying. Okay, There's two different things and you gotta, you got to spend some time with God to be able to figure out which is godly anxiety and which is personal anxiety. But if God has said no then waiting and praying won't change it sometimes we're like the child you know we you know we're trying to transition Grayson our 5-year-old into sleeping in his own bed most of the time yeah you know how that goes right and then then usually he's, I don't want to say a terror right before bed, but he gets all amped up right before. I I don't know why. He can be all docile, you know, in the early evening. But as soon as, you know, about 8, 15 hits, man, he's like, can I go jump on the bed? And he doesn't even listen to you. He just goes to the bed and starts jumping on the bed, you know. And you're like, you need to be winding down, not up, you know. But then he gets all that sweetness about him. and just, please, 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 please. We've all been there, right? But guess what? With God, you can't wear God down. Please, 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 please doesn't work with God. He has more fortitude than we have most of the time, you know? Don't try to live outside of the blessing of God by living outside of his principles, He's such a loving father that the parameters that he sets up for us are good. And that's what I'm trying to teach my, my kids. The parameters I set up for them is not because I want to just beat them down. It's because here's how I want you to live. You can do anything between here and here. But don't go out this way and don't go out that way because then you'll get discipline. Okay? Now, is that because I don't love my kids? No, I do that because I love my kids. God is the same way. He gives us parameters. They're right, even when we feel that they're not right or they're inconvenient for us. So to go against your peace is to go against the Holy Spirit. We like to box God into only churchy decisions, when in reality, God affects all all decisions. He affects our home life. he affects our work life. he affects our family life, our you know our friend life, our financial life, our school life, whatever life that you have, you know our, our kids soccer team life or you know when we can actually go outside and play with other kids you know but you know our kids activities life, our TV life, our vacation life, you know how, how we treat our boss life, even though they don't even deserve our respect sometimes god is control of our future life this is who god is he affects every part of our life when we allow him to but we try to box god into sunday we try to box god into well here's my spiritual life and here's the rest of my life and god's going no 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 you have it backwards This is everything I affect in your life. And if you allow me in there, then things will go much easier. Where do we go for these answers? Well, this is where the old Sunday school comes in handy, you know? We go to God. We pray. Bible, we get into his word. This is one reason why I like to teach verse by verse. I'm not against any other style of teaching. This works for me. I understand this. It's simple and easy to know, you know, know the God and, and, and know God and, and to know his word. And to, to get to know God, we have to read it. And then we start to learn more and more that we read that God and his word are one in the same. If you want to get to know God better, get into his word. In other words, to really know God is to really know his word. But we love the gray area because we think there's a lot of gray area. But really there's a lot less gray area than we think usually comes from someone who hasn't read the word of god they try to do or they cherry pick certain verses and you're like well that's not the context that god was talking about when he said those words that has nothing to do with the situation that we find ourselves in you're just cherry picking that one you know out of out of some memory or something it's important to know his word Let's move on to verse 7. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighter, uh, fighting men. Then the Lord said to Joshua, you notice how he checks in with God here. That's pretty cool. Do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And this is great because one of the, this is one of the greatest things for us as Christians to start to understand is that, the biggest battles and the biggest miracles in one's life is usually won right after a great failure. If you fall flat on your face in a huge failure, you repent. You even go out there and say, man, I really messed this one up, didn't I, guys? Did you see the way I was acting? And we're all like, yeah, it was pretty bad. And we really humble ourselves and repent. That's usually when God's ready to do something big in our lives. Do you know what God can do with a repentant heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know what God can do with, with a repentant hands and repentant feet? God can do amazing things. God often says, Fear not. Fear not. What is happening here is something great. And Joshua doesn't even know about it yet. Five great armies have come out of hiding to fight. Five great armies are not behind their walls. They're not behind their protection. Very wise or very unwise on their part. They could have stayed behind their walls and had that protection, but they didn't. And Israel would, would have to fight five different battles. But instead, they get to fight one battle the enemy has overplayed their hand and they don't even know it and they're going to get defeated here and there there are days when our battles are not just one thing or two things they're like five things all you know it's huge but there's consider you know uh, uh, there's a confederation out there that's ready to fight us and the glass half empty says you know those that kind of go with that philosophy we're all about to die and we go and hide, I'm under attack, or we can say, well, this is good. I can wipe all that out all at once. I can deal with it all at once with God's help. I can fight those five battles or four battles all at once, and it can get it over and done with. The other thing that's really cool is this. When we have friends, they can come and help us. When we make good covenants, we make good friends, we can call them up and say, pray for me. I need your help. Can you give me some advice? But instead, we sin, and we run, and we hide. When God is sitting there going, no, build those relationships. Come back to me. I have people to help you that can have your backs. Look at Israel. They're going to have their back. Israel is going to show up. And at first, you could imagine the army, the five armies thinking, great, you know, people are coming. We have reinforcements. This is going to be better, you know, because they don't recognize that it's the Israelites. Verse 9 it says, after an all night march from Gilgal, they're 25 miles away, Joshua took them by surprise. They obeyed their leader, Joshua, here, and they marched together all night. They're a well oiled machine. But what is surprising is this. When would your enthusiasm for this wane? Joshua gets all, you know, people all worked up, and they're ready to go, and they're all, you know, I would say probably about the sixth mile. Now, for me, it would probably be about the six-tenth of a mile, you know, but my enthusiasm would wane. you know. But, we, man, they have 25 miles. The enemy's been sleeping. The, the enemy is surprised that they would even run 25 miles to attack them. There's no way they would do that, yet they do. Sometimes God tells us to do something. And this is what he did with Joshua. And this is the key. We ran 25 miles to attack the enemy instead of waiting. Think about this. Israel works all day in the hot desert sun. Then they get the phone call. All the cell phones are ringing. Okay, not really, but you get the idea. Headquarters mobilizes. And immediately they march 25 miles all night. How tired are they at 3 a.m.? How tired are they at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m.? You know, they're ready to rest up, get some breakfast. No, 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 no. You're going to go straight into battle. See, the commander is tuned in to God, and will do something illogical here. And sometimes faith is illogical, and we like to box it all in. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we're called to do something like this. Take a step that seems kind of wacko. I was a trainer from, from sixth grade in Texas. I learned all the stuff that you needed to start doing for, to learn in training. Most people didn't learn that to, to high school. Some people didn't learn that to college. And I started in sixth grade I spent 11 years being an athletic trainer. And then I felt God wanted me to step away from that. My whole life was built around that. And God said, you need to step away from that. And it seemed wacko to many people. But the Lord had different plans for me. Friend, family and friends will be looking at you, and, and they'll think, man, this is, this is bad. But good friends, godly friends won't do that. They'll support you. And once you have peace about something, you need to do it. Because every now and then, you have prayed. You have confirmed with the word of God. You have peace that, that is within you. And the last thing you need to do, you know, and the last thing that you need is a, is a Christian brother or a Christian sister It says, well, that can't be the Lord. That doesn't seem logical. No. If somebody has peace about something, we need to support them as long as it doesn't go against God and the Word of God, okay? I mean, if it's something wacko, no, we're not going to support them in that. But we can say, let's get together. Let's pray about this. We always listen to wise Christians. Open your life up to someone that, that you recognize as a follower of God that makes good decisions. It's not perfect. But good decisions, they're just further along in the process than you are. And when they question, you listen and you pray together and you follow the peace that the Holy Spirit gives you. But just don't open it up to everyone because not every Christian goes to the Lord. Not every Christian is going to say, let's pray about that. It's sad to say. Some Christians will even tear you down. It's pretty sad. Because sometimes the Lord talks to you and says, I know you've worked hard all day, but it's time for you to march all night. And then when you get there, you have a battle to fight. And we're like, but Lord, that, that, no, that doesn't sound right. And he says, don't talk to me that way, child. I am the parent. Just follow me where I'm going. So here comes Israel in the middle of the night. After marching, they're trying to be very quiet. They're sneaking up. Sedeq and, and all those people, they're waking up. And I, I, I wonder if the leader went, hey, did, did you hear something? Hey, commanders, is anything going on? And I wonder if some of them even said, yeah, but it's just our troops waking up. It's no big deal. So here's what happens after a 25-mile hike and a 4,000-foot rise in elevation. Verse 10, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. I bet he did. This is awesome. Who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Did you see the change from we did, we marched 25 miles, we did this, we did that, to the Lord did. Joshua is very clear about God's part in all of this. And they're in the middle of warfare, you know, and there's two types. You have the physical, you have the, the swords and the spears, and, and you know, really gross, not pretty at all. There's nothing pretty about war. And then you have the spiritual side. And God is right there with them doing his part. God is also attacking. It goes on, it says, Israel pursued them along the road going to Beth Haran and cut them down all of the way to Azka and uh, Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Haran to Asgadah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. Isn't that wild? And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. They're going downhill through these valleys, and these hailstones just start coming flying from the sky. I mean, this is amazing. And rolling down after them. What an amazing and somewhat gruesome sight this had to be. What is interesting is this when we fight our battles alone, we miss out on the hailstones. We miss out on God's help when we're out there doing ourselves. God is like, well, I had the hellstone scheduled for next Thursday, but you decided to start the battle on Monday. Verse 12, it says, on the, day, uh, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. In front of Israel, he makes this public statement. O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon over the valley of Ajalon.'" Now, this is when you get a new leader. This is when you go, did I just hear what I just heard? He just commanded the son to set still. I mean, who does he think he is? God? Only God can do that. We need the white coat crew to come in. We need to, you know, somebody call somebody because this guy's gone wacko over here. I'll distract him. You guys come sneak up behind him, grab him. Got sunstroke or lack of sleep or something, but in the middle of his exhaustion, in the middle of lack of sleep, the muscles are tired, the brain's not quite all there. Joshua cries out in faith a prayer that he would have never done at any other time. He would have never done it in the right frame of mind. You would never say things publicly like, God, today, give me a better job than this. Amen. You would never say that in front of your boss, would you? <laughs> Lord, today, give me a husband. Today, give me a wife. Or today, give me this. This is what I need. You would never stand out on the street corner in front of your family and say stuff like that because people would think, okay, they're kind of, kind of going off a little bit. We've been taught not to pray like this because our experience tells us what? It doesn't happen. But do you know why it doesn't happen? Because usually we're praying about the wrong thing. We have to be in tune with God to be able to pray what God, how God wants us to pray. Sometimes, so because of this, I'm never going to pray like this. People start to think I don't want the sun to set still. I want next Friday off. And my boss said, "No, I, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying." What do you think uh, would have happened if the Lord had said no? I don't know. Besides, Joshua doesn't even know what he's saying. The sun is standing still. And if I slow the rotation of the earth, do you realize how fast we're going even though we're standing still? If the earth automatically stopped, what would happen? It's like you're driving 80 miles per hour down the freeway. Okay, for Ken Finley, 55 miles per hour down the freeway. And you slam on the brakes. What happens in the car? Momentum keeps going, right? Everything in the car goes forward. Hopefully you're wearing your seatbelt because that restrains a lot of stuff. But stuff you had in back, what? Ends up in front or ends up hitting something. That's what would happen to us if the earth all of a sudden stood still. But the Lord is the Lord. He can do this stuff. It says, it says so the sun stood still in verse 13. And the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on the enemies as, it's written, as it is written in the book of Joshua and this is referred to several times in the Bible, this particular book. We don't have it, uh, but it's referred to several times. It says, The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. The sun has never be, There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. This is amazing to me. The Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Israel. That's crazy, isn't it? The Lord listened to a man and so he started fighting for the Israel. The word listened is in the Hebrew is, is shema which means hearkens. means to hear and to do something about it. It's the very thing the Lord says to us all the time. You have not shema or shama. You have not hearkened me. You have not listened to me. If you would have listened to me, you would have changed your behavior. But here we see the Lord listened to a man. I like that a lot. Or as my dad would say in his Texas accent, I like that. I really like that. This will do wonders for our prayer life. Because I would would like to think that I'm not just talking to air when I'm talking to God. That I'm not just talking to myself. You know, prayer is not just verbal processing. It is, son, stand still. Because God has given us a task to finish. Now, this is the only time that this has happened this way, so I don't recommend you trying it, okay? Okay. Sometimes we like to turn one-time things into, well, we got to, you know, we got to start the sun stand still ministry or something, you know, and it doesn't necessarily work like that. What God, you know, uh, what was God doing here? He was showing them who was in control, who was ultimately in control. How did God do this? I have no idea. I just know that he did it because it's in the word of God. Guys have done doctrinal dissertations about this one verse. They're interesting to talk to, but no one really has a clue how it happened. See, the reality is this once I read Genesis 1, then it doesn't matter if I know how he did it or not. Once we start to understand that God can do anything, then it doesn't matter, he is the creator. Maybe he just pushed a button. I don't know. You see, if you can't understand that God is bigger than your mind, then maybe God is your mind, and you're not following the true God. If God created it, he can tweak it. The creator has the right to do what he wants. But what is really cool is that he allowed Joshua in on the process here. If you really believe this, you would pray more you would pray more what's the worst thing that ha- could happen god could say no but tell someone your biggest hope and pray about it the lord listened to a man surely the lord was fighting for israel the lord is fighting for you and you need to n- you know not forget that the lord is fighting for you you know our joshua is jesus you have nothing to worry about whom shall i fear Whom shall I fear? The Lord is fighting for you. Last week it felt like, you know, a lot of people would say, well, last week I I just felt like I was so alone. But we need to remember we're not alone. You may have been out of communication with God. You need to start that communication back with God. He never stops fighting for for you. You're in the middle of a paradox, you know, in the, in the, uh, the promised land, and we need to say we follow him. And when we follow him, we receive more blessings. We receive more blessings, and we have more battles to fight. And we're like, what? I don't understand that. I'm sorry that some of you are just now discovering that. But I'm also not sorry, because you've ran all night. You're exhausted yourself in a good way. You're coming to the end of self and beginning to becoming more like Christ. See, oftentimes we'll be totally exhausted right before God does something great. You ran all night, you get there expecting rest, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a battle. But the difference between you and the enemy is this God is fighting for you. Do you get that? Isn't that a great thing? Isn't it? I think so, because without him, I could not have made it in this world. Because I know some of you have said this week, there's no way I can you know, physically accomplish everything that there is to do this week. There's just no way. And there are times when we feel buried in the battle. And it is those times we need to think about this and remember that God is fighting for us may not feel like you're winning in the middle of the battle, but you will win with God on your side. And I know this because of the the last verse we're going to read here. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to camp at Gilgal. Joshua's left standing after the battle, and he makes it back home. After the battle in this world and of this world, we will make it back home. And that home is with God. I'm not talking about home where I live here. After the battle, where do I end up? With God, in heaven, with Christ. But our part right now is to get some blisters on the 25 mile journey, to build our faith, to not complain so much. Oh, if I could just get my kid not to complain about school in the morning. He gets it all done anyway. He looks at it and he, he opens it up. I might have mentioned this before, and I, if I did, I, I apologize. But you know, he looks it up and he goes, man, I got 18 assignments today. And he's all like flustered and frustrated. And I'm like, well, how many assignments did you have last, you know, yesterday? I only had 11. I'm like, well, how long did the 11 assignments take you? And he tells me the time. I go, now how long do you think the 18 assignments is gonna take you? And he starts to realize, but it's, its he realizes it, but it's totally not connecting all the time. It's the same amount of time. It's just assignments that take a little shorter time versus the previous day. Our job is to not complain so much. We will get tired, but we will win. This is about our soul, not our bodies. And our part is to walk in obedience to our Lord and Savior, our Creator, God and Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, I've gone over time, so why don't you stand and I'll pray, and Joshua will come up and play us one last song. Lord, we just thank you so much for, for being there to battle for us. Oftentimes we don't feel like you're fighting for us, and a lot of times it's because we're not connecting with you. I pray you prompt us to connect with you. I pray that you, you prompt us, give that Holy Spirit to, to just enliven us, to look to you in the middle of the battle because the battle belongs to the Lord. It's your battle. And sometimes you choose to use us in that battle. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you give us peace, peace that goes beyond all understanding in this world. Because most of the time we don't understand this world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you walk in him this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.